Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is a unique episode because I am actually on the other side of the microphone, so to speak, in this one. Joe Corsione from the Everyday Ultra Podcast had me on his show about a month ago, and I agreed to repost the conversation here as well for your listening pleasure. We talk about how I got into trail running, how I got into the media corner of our sport, thoughts on various other aspects of the sport, and we close with some philosophical discussion as well. If you get a chance, go check out what Joe is doing with Everyday Ultra. The link to his podcast will be in the show notes of this episode. Without further ado, enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and today we have such an awesome episode for you all because I know, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you like listening to podcasts. And guess what? I like listening to podcasts too. And as a podcaster, I get asked all the time where it's like, what are the favorite shows that you like to listen to? And when I think about all the different ones that are out there, and one of the ones that I've dived into, there's really one that comes to mind that's just been my favorite. And not just really the the trail running and ultra running space, but just in general, because the show is so, so good. And the show I'm talking about is the Single Track Podcast. And so if you aren't familiar with Single Track, it covers everything into the trail running world, right? Covering athletes who are some of the best in the business in terms of performance on the trails. He also talks with uh, people from brands who talk about their athlete programs and sponsorships and also new developments in the world of trail running as well. So if you're looking to hear from the best athletes, if you're looking to hear what's popping in the trail running industry, this is the podcast for you. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the podcast is the host himself, Finn Melanson. So Finn is the mastermind behind the whole single track podcast. And not only has he created a show and a brand that has just been absolutely amazing for the sport, he's also one of the most self-aware, one of the most uh, interesting people to listen to, and ultimately has a tons of value to give to his guests, not just on a show, but also as a guest on another podcast, which is why we're speaking with him today. So huge shout out to Single Track Podcast uh, before we introduce our guest here on the show. Wanted to definitely put that out there to add another podcast into your rotation. But let's get into it with the man behind the Single Track Podcast, Finn Melanson. Finn, thanks so much for coming on the Everyday Ultra Podcast, man. Joe, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And just to give you a little bit of a shout out as well, you've had a couple awesome guests, many awesome guests on the show. But you know, I was scrolling through your feed earlier today and Jeff Garmeyer, Aaron Clark, Adam Peterman, uh, Jeff Mogavera. Those are all folks that I've wanted to have on my show for a while. And you got them, man. And uh, fascinating people. So thank you for all the work you're doing as well on your end to uh, to tell the stories and uh, help grow our sport. Hey, I appreciate that a ton, man. And it means a lot coming from you, right? I mean, you've had on legends in the sport, right? From from Jim Walmsley to Abby Hall to, you know, just countless and countless other legends in the sport, which is just amazing. And you do the coverage of not just the athletes in an amazing way, but the sport in an incredible way. Like, I just love how you're highlighting like this, the... I don't want to say seriousness because that kind of sounds rigid, but at least like the legitimacy of trail running as a sport. And I think what you're doing with the show is helping us get there in the best way possible by creating this media empire. So kudos to you, my friend. And if you ever see a guest on the show that you want me to connect you with, hit me up, man. Happy to make the intro (laughs) all the time. But anyways, uh, in terms of, I want to dive into the single track podcast and about that, but let's dive into the the Finn story, right? How did you get into the world of trail running? Because you're a runner yourself. 
I follow you on Strava, man. You, you, you're a great athlete as is too. And so, uh, how did you get into the world of just running in general? Yeah, I have a, a slightly unusual path. I got into trail running via through hiking back in 2014. I was in my senior year of college and I loved college, man. Like I, I loved going to class. I loved studying. I loved, I was kind of like in the same way you have, uh, you know, sneaker heads and gym heads. I was a library head. Like I was in the library on Friday nights. Like I, I enjoyed learning and the college experience, but I, I, it never dawned on me that I needed to prepare for the quote unquote real world. Like I wasn't out there uh, at the career center looking up jobs and applying and doing interviews and putting on a suit and tie and stuff like that. I was just, I was super absent minded when it came to that. I think, yeah, I was just, I was just living in the fantasy land of college. So uh, had to scramble, uh, and I was just looking for something to do. And the Appalachian Trail somehow came on right my radar. I think I was watching a Nat Geo program one night about like the ten quote unquote most badass things you can you can do out in the wilderness. And I think you and I both know the Appalachian Trail does not belong anywhere on that top ten list. We think about stuff like Barkley in our sport, but it it caught my attention. And I think I went to like REI the next weekend and picked up a bunch of gear and hopped a flight after my last uh, final and did the trail that summer of 2014. And I think like most people that are on that trail, when you just experience the rhythms of sleeping outdoors, exercising a lot, eating a lot, and you just do that day after day, you realize that you don't need that much to be happy. And um, like those three factors go a super long way in terms of uh, feeling fulfilled and wellness and kind of quelling like existential doubts and stuff like that. So I was just like, man, like how do I, when I finish the trail, I'm like, how do I recreate this experience in the quote unquote real world? Because um, I just wasn't creative enough at that time to uh, make through hiking this like perpetual day after day, year after year thing. And I actually had a friend recently who said that trail running is the micro dosing equivalent of through hiking, which I got a huge kick out of because I think it's super accurate. And trail running came on my radar maybe like two or three months after the fact. I think I came across Scott Jurek's book, Eat and Run, read that cover to cover one Sunday morning. I think the YouTube algorithm fed me some Anton Krupichka videos. And so after that, it was just the algorithms kind of uh, leading me to Providence. And started trail running uh maybe a year or two after that but i was in portland maine and so if you want i can get into like the move out west but through hiking was the was my gateway drug that is so awesome man and i i think one thing i really appreciate about your story there is like you saw this like epic adventure called like the appalachian trail and you know i know you mentioned it's like when you think about the appalachian trail i mean that's a it's a brutal rugged trail like it is you know sure there's some parts that are scenic but for the most part it's gnarly like it's muddy it's rocky it's bouldery like it is uh, not for the faint of heart. And I love how like you saw that and you're like, I want that. And next week you were in REI making that happen. And I think so many times, you know, when people see something that's cool, they maybe say, ah, it's not for me. Or like, maybe it's not like that. And, and you just kind of jumped in. And I love how you, you know, dove into the aspect of, you know, taking it to trail running, which is like, for lack of better terms, like a more sustainable option to like have a lifestyle around. And I want to get into the trail running too, a little bit more for sure. But what was it that got you to really just jump on that? Like really like see the Appalachian trail and then take action on it right away. And the reason why I ask is because 
Yeah. I think sometime in the ultra community, I hear all the time, oh, I want to do a hundred miler, but like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Like I want to maybe do Coca-Dona or like even a 50, like whatever it is. So what allowed you to take, you know, to, to put the plan into motion? It's a great question. And it's funny. I actually just finished rereading a book about two weeks ago called a philosophy of regional planning. And it's by one of the co-founders of the AT, Benton Mackay. And it was sort of his blueprint for what the Appalachian Trail was supposed to be integrated into American society. So he was very much this utopic thinker. And he had this he had this idea that, you know, he looked around at industrialized America and he said, look, these machines are going to take over all the jobs. And the biggest problem in 20 to 30 years in American society is going to be the problem of leisure. How do we solve all of this idle time in our lives? How do we shuttle it towards some sort of meaning or joy or just uh, useful activity? And so when he was building the Appalachian Trail, he was building it with the understanding that when it was completed in the 1930s or the 1940s, Americans would be like flocking to it in droves and these uh, shelters along the trail, these lean-tos along the trail, they were going to be these like spiritual retreats where, you know, you'd finish up your hike that day and you'd go there and eat this like great, I don't know, like vegetarian or vegan meal and you'd do yoga and you'd commune with like all these spiritual people. Anyways, the reason I bring that up is because I don't think I'm that much different from a lot of other people in college where you, you, you see this lifestyle where you're living in close proximity with a lot of the other people. You have great community uh, you feel healthy. You feel like you're kind of uh, self-actualizing. And you wonder, like, why can't the rest of your life be like this? Like, why does sort of the best of times have to end here? And I think, you know, the reason I acted so quickly on the Appalachian Trail is I didn't want that utopic thinking to end. And I figured mm-hmm. if I had like two or three more months left to my own devices to think, um, I could sort of drum up some some ideas for that in my own life. That is so so good and I I love that notion because you know it's the it's the typical scenario I think where a lot of people uh, go through where maybe they have, you know, this utopic view of the world when they're a kid, right? And like they can play right. and dream and like enjoy life. And then there's always this narrative that kind of goes on as saying, okay, go to college, your fun's over, get the job, clock in the nine to five. And I'm not bashing on nine to fives. I'm just saying like the nine to five is almost seen as like, oh, it's a job. You're not supposed to like it. And that's kind of what it is. And I think in college, almost everybody has that kind of itch like that knows like there's got to be something better out there. And it's so cool yeah. to see that you took that in there. And I'm curious, like, you know, if uh, it, like even from my own ultra journey, like I think it's a link because I thought the same thing. I wanted adventure. I wanted all these things and uh, you dove into it. So anyone who's like thinking about, you know, taking the leap on that race, that adventure, that through hike, whatever they want to do, man, I, I, I encourage you to listen to Finn's word and explore that utopia because it's out there, man. And you're, you're an example of that for sure. So, you know, so, it's funny. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one thing. Uh, I listened to this podcast. It's called the Colin and Samir show, which if you're, a, you know, you're a creator like me, so you'll probably find it interesting, but they had this comedian on the show. His name's Hassan Minaj. And uh, you were just talking about the nine to five there. And he, he makes this interesting point where for, for our generation, like starting a YouTube channel or starting a podcast or becoming an influencer on social media is like the previous generations go to law school or go mm. to medical school. So I, a part of me wonders, like, you know, at some point in the next like 
five to 10 or 20 years, are we going to start to uh, exalt the nine to five again? And like, maybe like the factory lifestyle or, uh, you know, the blue collar lifestyle or putting in an honest day's work, punching the clock. It's very interesting to me. So interesting. And like, you know, I haven't heard that before, but you saying that and like, you know, noticing other creators in the space, like I can totally see that being the reality. I mean, and we'll, we'll get into this later in the show, but like, I mean, even yeah. you're a testament to that. I mean, like you have gone full time with single track, like this is what you do now. Whereas I think, you know, years ago it was something doing full time with a podcast. That was like something almost unheard of. Right. And so like, and I think there's so many resources and opportunities to dive into allow to facilitate that. Um, but don't worry, guests, we will talk about that later for sure. <laughs> um, but, but I love that. And but into like getting into like the trail running aspect of it, what were your early years like on the trails? I know you you threw your hat in the ring in a few different races. Tell us a little bit about the early days of, of your running career. Well, I was super excited to test myself athletically again. I had, I had grown up playing football, baseball, basketball. I was like a hand-eye coordination type athlete. Um, I think all of my people, my tribe were in the endurance world, but I just... I hadn't realized that yet. Um, but I, I had just left, like I played a little bit of college football and concussion sort of drove me out of that. Mm -hmm. But I had, I had just left feeling incredibly unfulfilled athletically and that, um, there was just still more I needed to get out of myself. And I think, you know, I've, I referenced this Steve Nay Smith quote of how father time is undefeated and, and the clock is ticking on us genetically. And we really only have like our twenties, thirties and forties to, express the best of ourselves in that regard. So I think my late, my mid to late twenties were all about how could I put myself in the best position to make not running the number one thing. So mm -hmm. like every day that I wake up, I'm, I'm training and I'm, I'm sleeping well at night and I'm abstaining from alcohol and I'm abstaining from processed foods. And I'm really trying to just like monastically live this lifestyle just out of curiosity to see what I can do. And I say all that and I use all those words and I try, but the fact of the matter is I, you know, I found out a lot about myself and I don't do well with, you know, a regimented life. I'm mm -hmm. actually not nearly as interested in serious training when it comes to running. Like my ability to focus deeply is it's just more naturally occurring in other things. So, um, where I'm at now in my thirties, it's just the realization that like running is probably more of just like a way to, uh, to de-stress and to use it as a tool for creative thinking. Like if I'm working on this podcast, for example, and, or there's a business problem with single track and I'm stuck, I'll, I'll use the run as a way to clear my mind and make interesting connections and solve those problems. Uh, so it, the, the evolution has been interesting. Like, I think I, I came into it with sort of delusions of grandeur that I was going to um, find a lot of success and I was going to win races and, I was going to train like a monk and I was going to be super disciplined. And it turns out like my personality just isn't suited, uh, to those demands. And, um, athletically I'm not as gifted as I thought I was. And, uh, but, but like, there's all these reasons why we, you keep doing it. Right. And for me, it's, it's the things that it does for my mind. It's the things that it does for my creativity, um, and motivation in other areas of life. So, um, I probably wasn't too like, uh, specific about what I've done from like a race standpoint, but like, that's how I like to think about it. And I think the answer that you gave was more impactful, right? Because, uh, I think 
when a lot of people get into running, like they always have like a goal of what it is. And I'm, and I'm, I, I'm talking about myself too, right? It's like, Hey, I want to do this perspective with running, or this is my goal for running. This is what I want to get out of it. Whether it is podiums, whether it is sponsorships, or maybe it is like the casual kind of runner. Right. And I love how you explored that and went all in and really went to go figure that out and found that it was like a mismatch for your personality. So like, I want to dive into that because I know like, so my own journey, like for me, I kind of went as a casual runner and then I found out that it was like, Hey, if I go with this a little competitively, like that suits me and everyone's Mm. different in that regards. But like, for me, I kind of had signs where I was like, I want to shift, maybe try something new. So what were kind of like the signs that like showed it's like, Ooh, I may be treating running in a way that doesn't fit my personality in hopes that people listening who are maybe either new to the sport or have been kind of having the same goals for a while can take a step back and be like, wait, am I really optimizing like my running for what is true to me? Yeah, no, I think that that's, this is a great conversation thread. And I think one of the cool things about running is uh, I'm not sure if egalitarian is the right word, but what I'm trying to say is like, if you put in the work, and you do it like day after day, week after week, you know, you stack it on, you know, block on block, year on year, the returns on investment are going to be incredible. And you don't have to have like the greatest genetics or DNA in the world to have a lot of success in our sport. I think for me, um, I'm a big believer in listening to your inner voice, which I know sounds super weird, but I, that inner voice in me was never, uh, encouraging me by default to work harder or to like go beyond like 40 miles a week or 60 miles a week. Like I was just never, my inner voice was never telling me, uh, was never like urging me to work harder. Um, Mm. I think my inner voice was always telling me like, this is, this is more like a tool in your toolkit that's valuable for other, other work in life. And, And I think I've, I was, for a, I'd say up until maybe like a year or two ago, I was actually sort of embarrassed by that. I was like, I, cause I wanted to be, I, you know, I wanted to be seen as this person who was like a good runner and training hard and, and living up to all of these values that, that are associated with being, you know, a good runner in our sport. And, um, I, I, you know, I think it's the benefits of getting older and, and self-awareness and stuff like that. You just realize like who you are and who you aren't. And, um, I'll be other things in this sport, but, uh, unfortunately I'm not, I'm just not going to be like, uh, high performing athlete. Yeah. Oh man. That's so powerful. And I love that. And right. And I know you mentioned it, like, I want to be other things in the sport and I'm assuming that's like where a single track comes in. But before we dive into that, I kind of just want to pull one little thread out of here. Sure. How did you, how did you come to terms with like being like, Oh, you know, um, this is who I was wanted to be in running, but you know, my inner voice is telling me not to, right. You mentioned that it was hard to kind of come to terms with that or come at peace with that. And I think in the age of social media and Strava and like, you know, I know all the time, like I I spoke with a buddy, it's, it's interesting. He was like, yeah, I want to do zone two training, but all my Strava runs are going to be like, like slow pace. And I was like, wow, that's like, that's crazy that like, and I don't blame him. I just blame like the nature of social media, like just putting things out there and everything like that. So I guess, how did you come to terms with being like, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to commit to. Yeah. So I think the way I came to terms with it, uh, was just looking back at my late twenties and what I did in my late twenties. And I, and I forgot to tell this part of the story, but, um, after I finished the Appalachian trail, there was that two year hiatus. And then sort of on a whim, I was working in politics at the time, a campaign ended and I heard about this place called the Rustler Lodge in Alta, Utah. 
and I became a run bum. Like I, I lived at the Rustler Lodge. I waited tables and then I did a bunch of schemo and I ran up and down little Cottonwood Canyon road all day, every day for like four months that winter and then ended up staying in Utah. But I gave myself an undeniable opportunity during that time. I had no competing responsibilities. I had no bills to speak of. Um, maybe I had like a little bit of student debt, but like basically no bills. Um, there was no scarcity in my life. I, I, every, I was totally stress-free and all I had to worry about each day was, uh, training to be a great athlete. And the, the long and short of it is that never happened in that period. And I, I look back and I, and I can say to myself, you know, like I gave myself the opportunity there to take ultra running and run with it and hopefully self-actualize as an athlete. And I, I made, like, I actively made decisions during that time that took me down a separate path. So I think I would have a lot more regret where I would still be holding out hope if I hadn't had such an obvious sandbox like I did in that era. And, uh, but I did. And so like, you know, a part of me now is like lamenting a lot of things, but I'm super at peace with it. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. And I, I love how you took the approach of like living it out, trying it, embracing yourself fully in the, in the lifestyle, the mindset, right? Like you, you were in it. And at that same time, it was like, you, I love it. You see that as like a valuable period in your life. Cause you know, now you're like, okay, that I tried it out. I went through it. Like I did it and that was it. But like, you know, I found out that it wasn't me. And I think that's amazing because you took the chance. Right. And mm. I think a lot of people, it, or I should say it's easy to rob yourself of the opportunity if you never even give yourself the chance. Right. And a lot of people are afraid of, uh, you know, Hey, I don't you know, want to try it because if I don't like it, then who knows? And, you know, you waste time, but I feel like in the end of the day, by doing what you do, trying it out, seeing if you like it, seeing if it fits goes with it. And ultimately is going to set you on the path that it's going to course correct. If it's not the right one, you're going to find the right one. If it is the right one, great, you found it. And I love how you had this trial and error approach to it, which is just uh, masterfully beautiful. And and the funny part is like, I'm super bullish on that formula. Like if you listen to a lot of my interviews with athletes and I'm trying to sort of prod them to a, a certain lifestyle as a burgeoning pro athlete, I'm like, I actually think that like what I attempted to do four or five years ago is super practical and it makes a lot of sense in terms of get, you know, getting results, getting, you know, race wins, getting sponsorships, stuff like that. So, um, I think if you have the mindset for it and you're motivated and it's sort of like your life's work in that period of time, um, I think it's a, it's a great environment to put yourself in. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And, and I appreciate you sharing this too, because this is like the phase of life that I'm in right now. Now, granted, I have a job, full-time job and uh, and a fiance. So like I have other responsibilities as well, but like I'm in that phase right now where I'm testing out to be like, hey, like, do I want to be a pro runner? Like, is this a lifestyle that's going to suit me? And it's not more yeah. like what, like, do I have what it takes? It's more, this is my lifestyle like really fit into this? Like, do I like yeah. the lifestyle? Do I like the process? Do I like this thing? Yep. And so, um, it's everything. I, yeah. And I, and I just love how you have that approach because I think it's, um, man, just trying your, your, your experience and skills and different things. And, you know, do you like the process is a question that we should always be asking ourselves, not just as athletes in the sport, but just as people. And mm. I think you have done it masterfully in your life. And one of the things that I'm sure you've asked yourself that same question, starting the single track podcast. And I'm curious to hear, like, what is the story behind the single track podcast? Like what, you know, took you down that route? Because I mean, clearly like it is super successful now. 
you're very, very good at it, like both on the mic and also building the brand. And uh, you yeah. seem to be enjoying it very, very much and doing it full time now. So how did the genesis of single track begin? Oh, I love that word genesis. Um, well, I, I told you earlier about how for our generation, being a content creator is like the previous generations, you know, be a lawyer or work on Wall Street or go to med school and be a surgeon. And so a part of me wonders like, did I just succumb to the mind virus of our generation and uh, like enter into this profession that maybe I'm not that suited for? Granted, I don't think that that's true. It's just it's just funny to take a step back and mm. like wonder like, am I actually pursuing what I what I should be pursuing that's like in alignment with my soul, et cetera, or am I am I trapped in in this game? I don't think I'm trapped, but it's again I just love to like always think in those terms. But anyways, I, it was the summer of 2021 and I had a couple roommates, also friends who were aspiring content creators. One of them was like a YouTuber. One of them was a artist and a musician. And it was just a super hospitable environment to be in. Like, I think it was maybe April or May before the summer started. And one of them was like, Hey, we just all have to start creating like tomorrow. Like, what are we going to do? And I think we got drunk that night and I'm not somebody that drinks a ton of alcohol, but we got drunk. And we had a basement in this apartment. It was just all, it was just a bunch of storage down there. It was rat infested. And, and one of the guys, his name was Mike. He's like, you know, we're going to wake up tomorrow. I don't care how hungover we are. And we're going to, you know, spend the whole day cleaning out the basement. We're going to build a, you know, a YouTube studio, a podcast studio down there. And, and that's going to be the spark that like gets us on this content creation train. And Mike went on to create this awesome channel around like, uh, Mac products and music, like the confluence of those two. And Brent uh, went on to do some really cool stuff with like artistry and music. Like he actually created this single track logo behind me. Oh, no way. Super talented, super, oh, super talented guy. Um, but it was just this great summer where like every single day we all woke up and we were like checking in on each other. And it was just this culture and environment of great support. And I, I really do believe that you were like the product of your environment and you're the product of the people that you most often associate with. And so I think I was extremely fortunate that I was in that nurturing environment where like everybody was a creator. I'm not sure that this ever would have started or it would have uh, kept the momentum going if I had been around people that weren't trying to do the same thing, because especially when it's early days and you're just speaking into the void and there's like no audience. And with single track, there was like 10 months of like two listeners. And it was like probably me listening to it over again and like my mom. So uh, oh. you, you, ne you need you need that encouragement you need that uh you need the, the humans around you that are like i'm also in the trenches i'm also trying this and so that was the story and you know we were together for like i mean it almost feels like i'm telling the story of like some indie rock band that was like you know washing dishes by day and jamming by night and that's kind of how it was like we I had a nine to five job at the time and so did they and we would all just be like haggard at the end of the day but there was like this promise of this greater future and this promise of fulfillment and self-actualization. And we have to go speak our truth on the internet. And I think I bought that hook, line and sinker. So you got to have that, like, you almost have to have that like indie rock approach to it. If you're going to be a content creator, like I'm going to create this content for the love of the game. And uh, probably no one's going to listen to it, but that's not the point. And if it catches on great, but like, I'm going to speak my truth. So. That's that's the initial story. So good. And you answered my like next follow up question, because I, I, I think it's so important to highlight that one nugget that you mentioned there where you said, hey, 
I had 10 months where there was like two listeners, like each episode, because I think it's easy to see where single track is now. Right. I mean, one of the top running podcasts, amazing guests, like incredible audience size and everything like that. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, it's been like that all the time. But it's so cool to see like that early stage because it shows like not only not only like the the beginning of it, but like the commitment, the dedication and the love of the game that it takes, which I think is the most important part because and I think it goes to show that like you love the game, right? Because if you were in it for for the listens, if you were in it for the fame, if you were in it for the sponsorships, it would be easy to to get rid of it like five months in with zero results and be like, ah, whatever, but you love this game. And so why do you love, you know, getting on that podcast? Like what, like what keeps you in it and what is like the mission behind, you know, what you're doing with single track and how that carries out into how you're, you know, uh, producing the show today. I was actually, it's funny you ask, cause I, I was thinking about this yesterday and I think about it all the time. And if I'm being honest, it's probably my greatest fear. Um, I'm in it because I, I do honestly think that I, I have something to say and I think I have questions to ask that have been underserved and underrepresented in the space until now. But I say that that's my fear because I only want to exist in this space, at least as a podcast host, as long as I can be helpful. I think like my greatest fear is that at some point um, I start being this derivative voice or I'm creating derivative content and I've found something that I can uh, like keep pulling the slot machine on and it gets mm. me like X number of listeners and X number of sponsors coming in. Um, I think early days, it was actually like a dream to have the audience and to have the sponsorship money coming in. And I know it's easy to, you know, say hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm like super enlightened now, but I mean it when I say like the moment I feel like I'm, just punching the clock and recycling old views. I don't want to be here anymore. And at that point in time, I'd rather like go back to school or like reapply for another job or um, just find some other way to be helpful in the universe. And frankly, like it could be the case that all I ever had to say in this, in this space was something about the athlete sponsor relationship or something about like the intersection of politics and trail running. Who know who knows when it ends, but um, I think what I'm starting to do now is uh, be at peace with that and recognize when it's there and when it's time to um, look elsewhere. So I, I may, that might not be the answer you were looking for, but like that's the honest truth. And because I, I'm just like any other human being. Like I'm super. I have an ego. I love praise. I, I love. Uh, I love money. All that kind of stuff. But. I do have like nobler aspirations and I, I do believe in like collective consciousness and humanity and how like the operating code of the universe is love. Like I, I truly subscribe, subscribe to all of that and I, I don't want to pollute that in any way. So that's, that's, that's the thing that keeps, I would say that's the thing that keeps me up at night with this podcast as well. It's like, at what point do I, um, do I no longer become useful? Cause again, to use like the indie rock example, like with those, with those bands, like, a lot of the fans, they love the demo. They love the first album and they're like, that was it. And like, you got to be okay with that. You have to be okay with like, maybe you only had X, Y, Z things to say. That was your purpose and you have to exit now. Mm, dude, I mean, that answer was incredible because I think number one, it shows like your genuine 
support that you want to give to the community, right? Because you said like, hey, like I, w- I even got the chills when you said it. You're like, as soon as I can't find value, like I want to find another place to give value. And I think that is the heart between any piece of good content that's out in the field, whether it's in running or not, yeah. right? Is does the creator genuinely want to add value to the audience? Because everyone knows if someone's coming from, hey, I'm doing this to gain sponsors or hey, I'm doing this to gain listens. And as you mentioned, like, you know, that's the typical cycle sometimes that some podcasts get or some shows get, right? And it can almost, you can almost sense that a little bit. And I think right now it's why a reason why you've seen so much growth in the space is because people know you're genuine. You're here to help. You're asking the questions people want to do. And the one thing that I, one of the many things, I don't want to say the one thing because I appreciate many things about the Single Track Podcast is you are giving a spotlight on the things that aren't highlighted in trail running. And I think you're the only podcast who is doing it, right? Like I'm not even doing that on my podcast. And it's like incredible to see you, you know, highlighting brands and athlete teams and politics and sports. And I even saw on your recent episode, NFTs, like we're entered the conversation, like so cool to see all those things diving into there because that's what people want. And there's so much value to be had. And I think you're, you're putting it into the space that's there. And I believe you're going to be doing this for, you know, a longer time than, than you think, man, because I think you got a gift at it for sure. And really going at it at an angle that's providing value, which I think is like the key to everything. And I'm, I'm curious, because, you know, we, we talked about in the beginning, you're doing this full time now, which is amazing. What was that journey like? And like, I guess, how, however deep you want to go into that in terms of like what that process looked like, but coupled in there would love to hear like any advice for someone who wants to take, you know, maybe not just if it is running great, we got a lot of runners in the audience, but just like your passion or what's something that lights you on fire full time if they're not already doing it. I'm going to answer that question in just one second. Let me go turn off this Roomba that just started running. <laughs> it's going to create a huge, I'll be, I'll be right back. Yeah, no worries. So the reason I did that is because sometimes it'll go over to the internet box and it'll like rip the cords out. It's <laughs> absolutely tragic. Um, we can edit this out though. You're um, all good. Yeah. In terms of my path to going full time, um, I think my first recommendation is start seeking out sponsors earlier than you think. So mm. I'm talking like as soon as you start getting like a hundred downloads, 200 downloads, 500 downloads, like per episode, that might be a silly low number, but, and even if it is too early to reach out to sponsors, it's all about building that muscle of outbound sales and learning what these brands are looking for in a sponsor relationship, looking for what their pricing is, et cetera, what they want in exchange for ad reads or whatever partnership agreement you have in place. Like Start early because you'll build that muscle, but also um, you never know what a brand is looking for and you never know what they're, where they see value in an audience. Like, yeah, you could only have a hundred listeners listening to that episode, but you know, we'll use an example outside of running. Let's say you're doing like a beat, a, you know, a business to business sales podcast and your hundred listeners per episode are like, you know, senior vice presidents of demand generation at like the biggest tech companies in the world. Like that might not be a large audience, but it's an incredibly valuable audience Mm -hmm. and you have something very significant to offer those, those brands. So, um, I would start there and 
and then just like, you know, know your, know your value along the way. So I think that there's huge value in networking with fellow podcasters in the space or athletes, just anybody that has been well tenured in that, uh, you know, podcast sponsor, athlete sponsor landscape. Like I know early on, I was starting to talk to a lot of people in the space, like Scotty Coomer at 10 junk miles, John Levitt at for the long run podcast, Dylan Bowman, Corinne Malcolm, like the list goes on. Um, Kelly at rad Boulder, just make an effort to find the people in your space that are either at a similar level that you are, or like the people that I mentioned have already been there and done that. And they have the wisdom of experience. So the networking piece. And, uh, I'm just trying to think, and I'm trying to explain this in terms of like value to the audience. Um, and then, then, then once you start getting these sponsors, it, it comes down to retention. Like it's a lot easier to retain a sponsor than to go out and get a brand new one. Mm. So staying in constant contact with them again, the more, you know, at the beginning of the re- relationship about what they're looking for, what their KPIs are, et cetera, the more you can help them and uh, deliver them value in the end. Um, and then the communication piece is huge because, uh, you know, like for example, with my sponsors, I like, to, I like to check in like once every week, once every two weeks, once every month with reporting, like if it's a promo code, Hey, uh, you know, I'll ask them like, Hey, how many uses has the code gotten? And by the way, here are the download numbers for this episode. And mm. here's where those downloads came from. And here's the average completion rate of each episode. And, um, here I'll show you that like I did this mid roll ad here and like 70% of the audience made it to that. Um, just the more you can help them with reporting and communication is huge as well. So, um, I have a lot to say there, but like, those are probably the three, three big things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So good. And I love how that's like translatable to, I feel like most passions nowadays, right? Like whether it is content creation or something that you're doing on the side, right? Whether it is, you know, you want to do an online course or anything like that. And I know there's a lot of people who do listen to this podcast who, you know, either they have their own, you know, TikTok channel or Instagram channel or anything like that. And so I love how you take the approach of like those three tips, like, cause they're very universally applied towards like a running passion whatever you're doing in the space, like whether it is maybe even an online coach. Right. Um, and I think, you know, you, you boiled it down to three steps that I think are, you know, really just translatable across so many fields. And I forgot to tell you like how I, I think, I don't think I quite answered the question. I forgot to tell you like how I got to the point where oh, yeah. full time was a full time was a possibility. Sorry. It was the Roomba that I had to go stop that Roomba from <laughs> destroying our internet connection box. Um, I, how did I decide to go full-time? I got to a point where I think I secured three or four sponsors that I knew I had, a, you can never say no because it's hard to get annual contracts in this space. Like the, I have one annual contract, but most of them are like, you know, quarterly or even month to month. I got to the point where I trusted that three or four of the sponsors would be around at least for the next year. Uh, and I was getting to the point where, you know, I was probably making like three or four grand a month off the podcast, which, mm. you know, is not a lot. It's barely above poverty line, I think in the U S but, um, I don't, again, I don't have that many expenses and, uh, my partner also works full time. So I just got to that point where there was enough money coming in the door to cover basic expenses. And then I just, I think I just trusted the fact that if I was able to go full time on this and I wasn't just working on it, you know, in the evenings or on the weekends after being exhausted from my nine to five, I could probably, 
um, replicate those efforts and more I could expand. So I think that's what I'm trusting in. But again, I, I go back to that whole thing about the reason for being, um, the security piece doesn't matter that much to me because if I fail, like if I can't end up covering the bills and, you know, the, and the audience drops off and people just no longer see me as a, as a place to consume content, which is totally fine. I'm okay with that. In fact, that's probably the best signal I could ever get. It's a signal that like I was meant to go and do something else now. So, um, you know, people talk about like making the leap, so to speak, you know, making the leap of faith and, and, and trusting in things working out. I don't see it that way. I see it as like my intuition was telling me that I should be working on this full time. And I'll also trust that somewhere down the line, my intuition will either say, keep going on this or uh, all the signs are obvious and you need to go somewhere else. So, but that comes with like five years of a lot of, uh, you know, deep thinking and stuff like that about, uh, you know, self-actualization and what I should be doing on this earth and stuff like that. At one point in my life, I had all of the typical insecurities and uh, frailties that I think most people have when they think about doing something entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially full-time. Yeah. that And that's always like the biggest barrier, right? It, it, it's so hard. Like there's days that, you know, even like in, in the early days of single track, like you mentioned, there's the days where it seems like no success is happening. I mean, I know the same with everyday ultra and like a few other podcasts that I had, there's just like, man, I know the feeling it can be like so disheartening to open up your listens and see like two. And you're just like, Oh, and it's like, you, you have to be able to, to connect with yourself and listen to your intu intuition. And I love how this revolves back around, like in the beginning, when you mentioned, like, listen to your inner voice, like, is yeah. this calling to you? Is this like the right path yeah. for you? And yeah. I love how, again, you're also like experimenting and seeing like, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's dive into it. Let's go it. Like you said before, you're like, if I put in more time and energy, like, will it lead to this? And you're kind of going through this like hypothesis, same with like the whole running path before. And, um, I think, you know, if there's something that people can take away from this, like whether it is your running training or starting up like a running hobby or anything, it's like, listen yeah. to your inner voice and go through trial and error. Like that's the best, like you said, it's the signals that you get from you putting it out into the real world that are going to ultimately help to guide you in that right way, which I think is just amazing. Yeah. And I would just say one more thing. I think, uh, my biggest, I think the biggest value that I subscribe to is public service. And again, like I want to reiterate to the audience cause you know, I, I, and I think it's like something that I, both of us, you know, being in the public sphere and creating content and servicing the community, like I need to be super uh, vigilant about ego and, like sort of those, those why not me scenarios where it's like, I'm going to go get mine. Like there's opportunity over there. I'm going to go grab it. Like, I think, I think that if you come at it from the perspective of I'm going to relentlessly try to be this, this public servant and I'm going to try to give back to this community as much as possible. Um, if you operate from, from that mental model, that's actually probably ironically the most selfish way to end up working because it, all of the, it, it, you know, stuff will, it's like the universe, you know, conspiring with you. Like it'll all come back to you probably in bigger droves because, uh, you're, you're truly trying to be helpful. So, um, I'm trying to avoid like, you know, all of the traps of ego and wanting to be praised. And I never want to get to that point where like people are afraid to criticize my work or anything like that, mm. because that's when I feel like I, I've lost the mission. I've lost the goal. Uh, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you and I, we've talked to about like, you know, the idol complex that it can get sometimes, right? Like, and, uh, and it's, it's such an interesting thing too. Cause I mean, I can relate to this tenfold and I can say I struggle with the same thing too, is like yeah. battling that ego. Like sometimes I'll get like a DM that'll be like, Hey, like great podcast, like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then like, I'll type out a response and I realize I'm like, wait, I'm making this about me. I'm like, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. I was like, come on. Like, and then, and then I delete what I say. And it's like, how can I add value in this post to this person? Right. And so like, right. it's, it's like, it's such a interesting default to come about. And I want to ask you an interesting question because I don't, sure. I feel this as a runner. I've heard other runners talk about this. Like when we think about running in general, it's inherently like, I mean, just the act of running is inherently like selfish. And then Scott Jurek actually yes. put out an incredible post about this on Instagram that just hit me to my core. I think it was oh, like a I few months back. Yeah. He talks about how like running is inherently selfish and he's talking yeah. about how he's, you know, using that. I won't spoil it. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. How can we as runners, right? Because especially because with ultra runners, like which is a lot of this things, you're spending a lot of times out there on the trails, like hours and hours on end, you're managing multiple commitments but you love the sport, how can we approach it in a way that is this, you know, genuine and kind of servant way in a way that's going to like make us, I don't want to say feel less guilty, but feel more connected to like the community and like to really feel like we're adding value through running. And I don't know, like, this is a question I've actually never asked or even have heard anyone talk about. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an excellent question, and I'm admittedly still working through the reasons why in my own head, but I get pretty, I get pretty high on running. Like when I think, you know, when you think about um, like the essentials and the keys to life, I really believe that running belongs in that conversation, and I believe every single person in the world should be including running in their daily practice. I think that the benefits that each person accrues from it, the mental health benefits, the creativity benefits, the physiological benefits, you know, the list goes on and on. There are so many reasons why each person should run that when I see people out there like Scott Jurek or yourself or, or me or any ultra any ultra runners out there and they're spending 18 to 20 hours a week and they start questioning, you know, is this coming at the detriment of other important things in my life? I mean, it could be the case that once you cross a certain threshold of time on feed each week, yeah, sure. Maybe it does become a little selfish, but by and large, I see all those people as uh, the early adopters of what's going to ultimately become this truly mass participation mainstream thing where like people are all including a 30 minute run in their day in the same way that they're setting aside time for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or, you know, 30 minutes of Netflix or, or whatever is most common worldwide that unites all cultures and countries. Um, yeah. So anybody out there that's doing it right now, I just see them as an early adopter of the proper way to live life or the, or the one of the essentials in a proper life. That's so interesting. So do you think like in years, like it, like, like we're just seeing the beginning of running. Is that what you're saying? Like, like just in general, like, cause it's, I feel like running has been around for, I mean, obviously a long time, right? We know born to run. We know like the, yeah. the ancestors with running and everything like that. Yeah. But in terms of making it mainstream, do you think there's so much more upside to go from there? And 
Cause like, and even in the early days of running, right. I mean, Boston marathon has been around for a while, very widely known road running is there. Do you think it's specific more to trail running too? Like I'm just, what is the future of running look like to encapsulate it in one question in your opinion and based on the conversations you've been having on the single track podcast with athletes, with creators, with brands, everything like that. Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm just vent, I'm totally venturing a guess here, but if I had to take a guess at the demographics of runners worldwide, I would assume that the vast majority of them are either middle class in economic status or above. And which means to me that if you think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, most of the people that take up running have met all of their basic survival needs and security needs and are at that point of trying to self-actualize. Like they're focusing on that like final piece in their life. So when I think about spreading running worldwide, there's probably just a lot of other moving parts that need to be filled in. Like we need to make sure that especially people in the third world, for example, have like access to clean water and housing and uh, stable governments and stuff like that. But um, I think like with this podcast and probably the conversation we're having, we're we're still trying to work on people in the United States and turning on uh, those folks. So, you know, probably what we're uh, charting out here is going to take centuries you know, hundreds of years, et cetera. But uh, that's why I tend to balk at all the criticisms around the selfishness of running. Cause I, I think it's so human and it's so necessary to our well-being that um, I think it's typically just not a great point. Mm, I, and I'm, I'm so glad I asked the question now because I, I think it's a feeling that, like I mentioned before, a lot of runners, including myself, can feel at times. And like when you put it in that perspective and even just like the, the benefits, right, that you get for yourself, right? I mean, then you can also make the argument that it's like, oh, working out is, you know, selfish. But is it really selfish if you're just like being a better person, if you're improving physically, mentally, spiritually, like creatively, like any of those things, right? If you're improving yourself, then yeah. you improve like the output that you put into the world, which kind of relates to, you know, your whole mindset of like being a servant, being a giver and everything like yeah. that. So I love that reframe in there. Like, cause I'm, I'm a firm believer too. And uh, I, I don't know if you, you are as well, but it's like, if you better yourself, like, like you said, the collective also benefits as well. A rising tide lifts all ships. And I think more people need to see it that way as opposed to like, Oh, like, you know, he's out there for four hours and it's a whole different conversation if you're just like skimping on other commitments sure. and everything like that. But sure. in the general sense, I think you're hundred percent right. Yeah. You're modeling a lifestyle. Like you're, you're, you know, in the same way you, you vote with your dollars when you're making purchases at certain mm. companies, et cetera, when you're out there running, you're, you're saying to the world, I, I believe deeply in this. This is something that I've that I believe, you know, whether or not you want to influence other people just by virtue of your actions, you're saying this is a worthy endeavor. Uh, I think that this is an awesome way to express my humanity and to live a good life. So good, man. I 100% agree with you on that. I think it's, uh, I think it's something people need to look through and it's like also like inspiring. I mean, like, you know, I get inspired by other runners out there accomplishing their goals. Right. And that like betters me. And it's like, a lot of people think like, Oh, I'm out there running. I'm not sure if I'm inspiring people. It's like, you don't, especially like now with social media and everything, it's like, there are a lot of people who are watching who you never know are either watching or resonating or anything like that. And it's like, even if you just inspire one person like that, like continued action can really have a domino effect. And, um, I think, 
I think people underestimate the impact that their actions have for good or for worse, right? And yes. I think with running, there's a lot of underemphasis on that because again, people think it's just about them. But in the end of the day, it's like when you're out there on the trails, waking up at 5 a.m., like getting on there, working towards that marathon, that 50K, that ultra, man, people see that and they either like, I respect that even if they're a runner or not. Yeah. And like, I don't know why, but it's like, I think when I started out in podcasting, I was super obsessed with like, oh, like how many people can I reach? And like, how many downloads is that episode going to get? For whatever weird reason, I'm super obsessed with like, can I influence one person? And I think like what makes my day is when I get like, I think you mentioned, you know, somebody popping into your Instagram DMs and saying great episode. And like, for me, when I get those like individualized messages that like, you know, this episode influenced this person to think differently on that or like they decided to make this jump because of you know this particular conversation that's the stuff that lights me up and so i i I wouldn't you know when people talk about like selfishness and stuff or like the ability to impact i wouldn't get too hung up on numbers like focus on the people in your immediate environment or even just like those individual one-on-one connections you make it's um it's all huge so good, man. So good. I, I love that too. And I, I totally agree with you. I think it's like so awesome to get that one DM, that one message. And dude, even the cool thing about you, I know I don't know if this is 100% related, but I remember when I first started listening to the podcast, I actually followed uh, Single Track and you sent me a DM. You'd be like, hey, like, you know, it, it's Finn here. Like, thanks for the follow. I and, I, all, yeah. and I was like, Hold, like, and I didn't even, I didn't even DM you. You just like DM me for following. You said, Hey, thanks for the follow. And like in that moment, I knew it was like, this is someone who like cares so much about his audience and is here. So I just wanted to call that out and, and just say that, like, just cause like that was one of the coolest things, like from a content creator that I've ever seen. And I think it's something that gets lost because you know, even, even if you're not a content creator and you want like the likes, the follows and everything can be easy to see those things as numbers and not people. And, but when you get that, that one human interaction, I, that, that just carries its weight in gold as opposed to just like one, Oh, this person liked your picture, you know? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that, man. So I'm curious, like, you know, we talked about like the podcast and everything like that. Like tell us a little bit where I want to kind of like end the conversation is all about you know, the various conversations you've had in running, right? So, you know, you've yep. spoken with athletes, you even spoke with Anton Kropichka and all the other yep. athletes that I mentioned before, great guests on the show, um, you know, spoken with different brands, spoken with other podcasters and creators. What are the biggest trails or the, the biggest trends in trail running that you're seeing right now that you think anyone listening to this podcast just needs to know? Whether they're, you know, an amateur runner and they're just doing it for fun or whether they're someone who wants to go professionally compete or even someone who's just thinking about the sport. What do you think are trends that you picked up in your conversations that you think every runner needs to know? Whew, every runner. Well, maybe this isn't for every runner but it's something that is very interesting to me and I'm only starting to see small bits and pieces of evidence of it, but I think it's going to be a really big trend in the next like couple months, couple years. And that's a lot of these sponsored athletes taking larger control and accountability and responsibility of their long-term relevance in the sport. So I think for the longest time athletes were thinking contract to contract and really just dependent on that one source, that like golden shoe sponsor. 
And I think we're starting to see evidence of athletes using the power of the internet, using the power of these social platforms, podcasts, et cetera, to build systems and to build businesses that outlast their athletic potential. So you look at like Dylan Bowman, for example, building free trail, like Dylan is still an excellent athlete, but at some point that's going to end, but he'll have free trail as this next thing uh, to work on for however long he wants to be in the sport. And it's, it's independent of uh, his age and his mm. athleticism. Like it's something that he can continue to work on to the fact I just interviewed woman named Kat Bradley who runs for Brooks. She's mm. doing something similar. She just released a podcast and she's taking a more active approach to blogging and building out her website. And uh, I think we're just going to start seeing a lot more, especially professional athletes doing that. And, you know, you mentioned how does this apply to all runners? You know, I think there's never been a better time to be any type of runner in this sport because you don't need, I mean, I'm living proof. You don't need to be an elite athlete to use all of these, again, platforms and systems to, to be relevant and, to make a little bit of a living out of it. And that's very exciting. So um, it's not quite a trend yet. There's probably only like three or four, like Killian's another example, starting yeah. a normal brand. So it's, 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 a very, it's a very small kind of ripple going on, but I think it's going to explode in the next six months and beyond. I, yeah, dude, I totally agree. And I love that. And even to your point about like it being accessible right now, I mean, you look at a lot of running influencers on TikTok. I mean, a lot of them are just amateur runners, right? And they're just going out and they're just make good content that resonates with people and it's out there, right? And, you know, they don't need to be winning races, but they got the reach, they got the message, they got, you know, that connection with the audience. And it's like, they just love running. And I think to your point, I totally agree. I don't think being a competitive runner I mean, sure, there's its perks and advantages, but if you want to have a platform, if you want to get a message out, like the world's your oyster right now. And if you really love running, like, you know, just because if you're, if you're not the best athlete, or even if you don't want to be the best athlete, right, like yeah. out there and you want to do it casually, there's room, like there is room. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent opportunity because it really levels the playing field. Whereas like, you know, you look at, um, you know, like NFL football, right? Some of those bigger sports where it's like if, if you're not in the NFL or a collegiate athlete, like right. it's tough to even get that, that platform out there for that specific sport. Right. Yeah, you gotta be like a trick shot enthusiast or something like that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> just like that. Whereas like running, it's like you, you just got to resonate, which I think is amazing. Um, I, I know I said, I want to end the conversation there, but one thing I did want to definitely just touch about to, to oh, round out yeah. is, uh, the Salt Lake running community. So I know you mentioned yeah. early in the podcast, you were in the Northeast in Maine, which, by the way, some of the most beautiful yet super rugged trail running like ever. I, I mean, it is, dude. I saw you were in the Adirondacks. Oh, dude. Like, and I did not put respect on it. Like I, uh, <laughs> for, for those listening, I tried to, to do all 46 uh, high peaks in the Adirondack range, which is mountains over, you know, 4,000 feet. And, you know, being in the West, you hear 4,000 feet and you're like, oh, like that's, you know, tough peanuts, like, or easy peanuts. Like I've done all this stuff but it's wet. It's rugged. It's unforgiving. The weather is so uncontrollable. Humid. It's humid. Yeah. It's hot. It chewed me up and spit me out. And I'm sure like you've had experiences like similar to that out there and then moving to the West. So I think the first is like, I guess like what is the comparison between the two and what is that trail running community like in Salt Lake? Because I think it's an emerging community uh, for sure. And I think yeah. It, it's a beautiful city. I love it for sure. Um, so I'd love yeah. to hear your perspective on it. 
Well, I think you you described the the East Coast or at least the Northeast to a T. And yeah, I mean, I grew up in Maine and frequented the White Mountains in New Hampshire and the Appalachian Mountains in Maine. And I think, you know, now that I think about it, I think through hiking made sense and trail running was nowhere near my radar because I didn't think it was possible to run in the mountains because everything was just so rugged. Like, you know, my experience was hiking up the lion's head, uh, approach on Mount Washington, which is just, you're basically like boulder hopping. It's, <laughs> it's insane. And, you know, I'm thinking about like the presidential traverse, which I, you know, you know, after the fact, I realized people do run it and they do it in like four hours. But to me, like eight hours back in the day was, was a, was a feat of man on that section. Like, so it's, it's just super rugged. And then, and then you get to Utah and Salt Lake and things make more sense. It's more buffed out and there's already like a culture and you see more evidence of it on a daily basis. But man, I love Salt Lake for a lot of reasons. I think maybe the first and most obvious piece is the access. Like it's, it's a major Metro Salt Lake city is a major Metro and all of the trappings and logistics and hospitals and restaurants of a major city. It's, it's awesome, but you can hop out your door from virtually any place in the city and be on a trail to 11,000 feet. And like, half a mile. Like it's, it's just, it's, the access is amazing. So if you want to get directly on the trails, it's incredible. Um, I love that. I love that it's, you can be a trail runner here year round. And I'm not sure a lot of people appreciate that, but, uh, really below like 6,000 feet elevation places like the Bonneville shoreline trail, Granger peak, uh, Mill Creek Canyon, Antelope Island, all of these places you can run there in the winter time. It's, it's either dry at times, like I've had winters here where it's completely dry, or there's just so many runners in town that it gets packed out like immediately after every storm. And those, those trails can actually be the best in the winter, like, cause they're covering rocks and stuff. So, um, and then just the, the, the geographical diversity. So like once it is spring and summertime here, uh, you, you couldn't run all of the trails in the area. If you tried, there's just, there's just a never ending supply a never ending geographic diversity. And you can also train for virtually any race. So like, if you want to get ready for like the JFK 50 in November, we got stuff for you here. If you want to get ready for UTMB, great Western States. Yeah, no problem. So, um, it suits any type of trail runner as well. And it's been growing, man. Like I've been here six years and I've seen the community grow year over year. There's, groups out here like the women of the wasatch is i think like a 900 person women's only group that is just making amazing strides for the community uh there's trail racing groups that are starting to form um it's just you know i i have like a rolodex of people like you know i could call someone up tonight and say hey i'm going for a 20 mile run in the morning and probably like four of them would say where and when so it's awesome. It's a great time to be a runner here. And I know that Boulder gets a lot of, uh, the applause in Portland, Oregon and Flagstaff, Arizona, and for, for good reason. But, um, a lot of people I think sleep on Salt Lake. I think so too, man. I a hundred percent agree. Um, I, I, I've always said like, so I'm in Phoenix. I love Phoenix personally, but if I was in here, I'd be in Salt Lake for sure. I mean, just, nice. I think people don't understand like the access as much until like they've been there, right? Like you realize, like, wow, the mountains are this close. Like that's incredible. And I didn't even think about like the year run trail running thing because you know, that's, that's why I like here in Phoenix is cause it's like, oh yeah, you can run all year round. Of course you get smoked in the, uh, the summer, but Hey, it's heat training. But, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even think about like the year round running in Salt Lake. Like that just like moved it up in 
so many notches in my book. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and again, also like, especially as I get older, I'm in my early thirties now, I find it's important to be a multi-sport athlete and mm. you know, you, you, there is a thriving ski mountaineering scene here as well. So if you want to dabble there, it's, it's an easy transition. And, um, I mean, climate change may have something to say, but until very recently we had the greatest snow on earth. So yeah. Yeah, I've heard that as well. And I mean, the multi-sport athlete, I mean, like as, as people are starting to pick up now, it's like some of the best athletes are, especially in trail running are the ones who are uh, doing schemo in the off season. I mean, it speaks volumes to all the European runners and why they're so talented at UTMB. Um, I think schemo plays a large, a large role in that for sure. So I think it's a cool benefit. And obviously you're not getting that here in Phoenix. So that's definitely a downside that we have here for sure. Um, but man, I love the Salt Lake area and I appreciate you touching on that. And I think it relates back to your earlier point about having a community and how important that is in anything you do. And I think running is a big thing as well, especially if you're trying to build a habit or you're trying to find a group or find people who are going to motivate you to really be your best, whatever your goal is, right? If it's just to be, you know, it, to, to hit your first marathon or anything like that, like having that support yeah. group is great. And it's so cool to see they have that in Salt Lake. 100%. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, Finn, you know, the one I, I, I keep saying one last question, but uh, this, yeah. this I promise is the second to last question besides the one that I ask everyone. But there's one word that you brought up a lot, and I think uh, you embody it for sure. I said in the beginning of the podcast that you're one of the most self-aware dudes I've met in the industry, for sure. And I think this episode has spoken volumes to that, the way that you talk about the lessons that you learn, analyzing yourself, listening to your inner yeah. voice. That's a freaking skill, man. And it is such a, an important skill. And then you mentioned the word self-actualize, which is different than self-awareness. So to wrap everything up here, what does that word mean? And how, like, how do you apply that into your life? Like if someone's listening right now and they're like, oh, I want to be more self-actualized. What does that mean to you? And how can our listeners do that? Oh my gosh. We almost need to get a licensed psychologist on the scene here. To I know. I just, this. I just loaded the, the, I said last question and then I just dropped. Oh the man. Well, <laughs> self-actualization. I think, I think it's super hard to step outside of yourself and all of the problems that, and I'm using the, the word you like the royal we like collectively mm -hmm. it's hard we all have problems we all have daily stresses and it's very easy to say woe is me and you know the world is crashing down on me and i have i'm overwhelmed and i'm i have anxiety or i'm depressed and all of those things are valid and they need to be addressed but when i think of self-actualization i think of the opportunity to step outside of all of those issues and to think about ways that you can be a servant to other people. Because if, if you think about it, um, you aren't the only person who's dealing with those things. You know, what you're dealing with is a common element of the human condition. And if, if once you realize that, um, it's quite liberating and self-actualization is just the process of, um, realizing what your superpowers are to help alleviate that element of the human condition so that more people can, uh, find their truth and, and find their own superpowers and uh, contribute to the best possible form of humanity. It's, it's that simple. And uh, that's how I would put it. That, that, that's, my working, that's my working on the spot definition of 
self-actualization. Because again, when I say all those things about anxiety and depression and self-doubt and ego, I am somebody who grapples with all of those things just as acutely as any of the listeners out there. But um, we do we do all have it in our power to to step outside of those conditions and think critically about how we can be helpful and how we can serve the community, serve the greater good. And when you start thinking about those things, it's pretty amazing how quickly all of the things that you were meant to do or that you're capable of doing on a society-wide level uh, appear to you. Like, you know, artists and politicians and anybody that's made an impact on the earth has, has described that feeling of like, I was just sitting there one day and I was thinking about how I could be useful and these these messages, these these directions came to me. And that's what's waiting for you. It's pretty awesome. Dude, I got the chills right now. I know you can't see it on the camera, but I'm literally just like goosebumps right now. That was just so, so good. And I, man, I'm trying to find the words to like react to that. Cause I mean, it's, it can be easy to get caught up in the anxiety and, and the depression and the feelings of overwhelm, like yes. with everything that we have going on, especially as you know, ultra runners are a very dedicated breed, right? Like we're, we're, we're known to go to the extremes. We're known to, you know, really load our plates up with a lot of stuff, if not miles. And, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but I think it's so powerful. What you said is like, when you can really just ask, how can I serve? How can I, you know, be, give back? How can I be like a servant to the universe, man? It, it makes those things just so much easier to manage, if not, you know, completely wiping it away, even if just for the moment where you're giving. And, and I love how you said, like, when, when you're putting that energy out, like the universe essentially like creates that path for you that is meant for you and your own superpowers and diving into that. And man, I think that's amazing. And man, I got to cap myself here. Cause I, I, I could do, like I said, I told you even before the episode, I was like, dude, I can talk to you for 10 hours. Cause you are one of the most interesting dudes I've ever had on the podcast for sure, man. And uh, one of the most interesting dudes I, I think I've ever, you know, encountered in my life. And I say that all with good measure. Cause it's, Man, I, I learned so much from this episode. This was such a joy and a treat. And I think it's going to help so many people out there. So yeah. your your intention of giving and serving, man, I know has been fulfilled on this show. So I appreciate that a ton. And everyone here who's listening to this podcast, please, 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 please listen to the Single Track Podcast. Like if you want to dive into the world of trail running so much, which I know you do if you're listening to this podcast, you are going to love the Single Track Podcast. And um. I want everybody here to to put it in their Rolodex, listen to it. And I'm saying that, you know, just because I think you're going to get a lot of value from it. Um, not just from Finn, but the guests that he has on there, the topics that he talks about and everything like that. So I will put the link in the show notes to single track, but Finn, where else can people dive into the single track brand beyond the podcast? Yeah. So we're available on all the me. And by the way, Joe, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to have the chance to self-reflect and be here on the other side of the mic. So thank you for that opportunity. Um, I apologize for the Roomba earlier cutting off, I think the middle of our conversation, but um, hopefully that makes some sense when we splice it all together uh, where you can find me Yeah, available on all the major podcast players available on Instagram at run single track. Uh, I, I use Twitter quite a bit from my personal account. So Finn Melanson, and then we also have a jobs board. So jobs.runsingletrack.com. We update it typically two or three times a month. And anybody that's in the outdoor industry, the running industry, that's looking to, uh, change jobs, change careers. If you're a marketer, engineer, salesperson, et cetera, um, 
we post open positions there for companies like Strava, Hoka, Ultra, Solomon, and anybody that's even peripherally involved in our sport. So um, hopefully you can find that helpful as well. Awesome. Yeah, dude. And I love the job board thing. I think it's incredible. Like the fact that you're doing that, because I think there's a lot of people who want to get into the sport and, or at least be in proximity to the sport, if not yes. doing it full time. Um, Cause even like you mentioned before, like if you don't want to get into the running, do you want to be in proximity? And like, I think what you're doing is making that so much more accessible and easy for people to dive into that. So I think that's amazing. And every link that you mentioned there for those listening will be in the show notes. So feel free to pop into there follow single track, listen to the podcast. It is incredible. Seriously, I could not put my stamp of approval enough. It's like I said in the beginning of the show, it's my favorite podcast out there. So having uh, having Finn on here was just an absolute treat for me. And I, I hope that you all had value from it. I'm no, I know that you had, cause I, you know, like I said, I had goosebumps probably like 20 times during this conversation, man. Yeah. It was great. Now, promise this will be the last question, but this is standard <laughs> standard for all the guests on here at the everyday ultra podcast is the question we're not ending on self-actualization. <laughs> I know. Right. And it's like, okay, now we're going to go to the standard question after self-actualization, even though that is the definitive, I feel like last question we ask ourselves in life in general, but <laughs> for the last question of the podcast here, what can our listeners do every single day to become a better endurance athlete? Boring answer, but I would be doing a disservice if I didn't say it. Consistency. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it on this show, and I won't be the last. But whatever you do, uh, put your whatever you want to do to the best of your ability. The very first thing you should be asking yourself is: Is this a part of my daily practice? And if it's not, you're missing a huge, huge, huge variable. And I think that all of the best people in our sport. I would be shocked if this isn't the biggest thing that they think about on a day-to-day -day basis. They, they, they probably invariably all think about this when they wake up, when they go to bed. It's probably the first thing that they do each day unless they have some sort of preference to run, for example, in the middle of the day. But it all comes down to consistency and making this the most important thing. So good, dude. So good. And I love that you gave that answer because like, we, we hear that. I think, you know, some of the, the best athletes I've had on the show have said that right as well. Like Adam Peterman, yeah. a lot of different people have said that answer. And I think there's a reason for it because it is so important. And you even said it earlier in the podcast, you say, when you have those efforts stacked on day by day, the, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's running, podcasting, content creating, whatever it is, those small efforts every day, they compound over a year, man. And so, uh, you know, like you said, I, I sure it might be an answer that's said a million times, but it is just as powerful every time it's said. And even if not more powerful, because it shows, hey, we're seeing successful people like you and other athletes out there doing yep. doing it. So it's a it's a it is advice to be taken seriously for sure. Finn, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a joy and appreciate you a ton and looking forward to diving into single track a lot more. My pleasure.